I'd like to wish you a very good morning. Lovely to be here and to share in fellowship and worship with you and to look at this very famous story in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 16. If you have the page open, we're going to refer to it during the course of our thoughts this morning. And if you regularly attend here at Linfield URC, then you'll know that this is part of a series of talks on Exodus. And um, you will know that uh, it's an eight-week talk, I think, looking at the nature of God in Exodus. A, a God who cares, a God who speaks, a God who saves, guides, and this week, a God who provides. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? Give us today our daily bread, because he knows that food is very uh, important to our survival. And we trust um, God to provide food, even though we know that he does so much more, doesn't he? He doesn't just provide us with food. He keeps the earth, the universe, everything spinning so much beyond our understanding. In fact, he, he sustains us day by day. And uh, I think as uh, somebody uh, prayed, it, it is beyond our understanding, beyond our imagination, the universe. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. But here we're talking about food. Not a bad subject, is it? I like talking about food. It's a great thing, isn't it? God not only gave us food to eat, he gave us a huge variety of food, didn't he? A wonderful tastes to enjoy. It's a good subject and close to many of our hearts. Food is something that we, uh, we enjoy enormously. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> I hope you do. And uh, in this part of the world, we have it abundantly. And we complain, don't we, even if we get a little bit, a little bit hungry. And so if you've ever had teenage boys in the house as sons or as brothers, then you will know that teenage boys always get hungry. What's for lunch? You've only just had breakfast. What's for dinner? You've only just had lunch. And uh, the more they grow and exercise, they can eat 15 chickens a day, have extra protein, and they're still hungry. And that's the way boys are, always moaning Where's the next meal coming from? And that's a great thing, isn't it? We're talking about food. Some people uh, fast for religious reasons. Some people are on a diet. Some people have to have a, a, a fast because of some medical examination or an operation. But uh, it's rarely fun to fast, is it? Uh, and to go without food. And usually in Lindfield, we know where the next meal is coming from. And if you don't, well, co-op is just across the road there, isn't it? Um, so we'll be looking at Exodus, Exodus 16, and, and thank you very much for reading it so, so nicely to us. A great story from, uh, from the scripture, the God who provides. And if I had to sum this whole, sent this whole chapter up in one sentence, I would say, the Israelites grumble, Yahweh is faithful. The Israelites grumble, Yahweh is faithful. The Israelites were and are still constantly reminded of God's providence. In Deuteronomy in chapter 8 and verses 1 to 5, we read, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live 
by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's from Deuteronomy in chapter 8. And that is the whole point of the story. This is the point of the story. To teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But it's a great story, isn't it? Psalm 95 says, Remember, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did at Meribah. You did at that day at Massah in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, though they thought, um, though they had seen, sorry, what I did. Bearing in mind what the people of Israel had seen, it goes on for 40 years. I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And so we have this story in Exodus chapter 16. The chapter gives an account of the provision of God to the camp of the children of Israel. The first few verses, 1 to 3, describes their complaint for want of bread. In verses 4 to 12, the notice that God gave beforehand for the provision that he intended to give them. Verses 13 to 15, for the sending of the manna. And then the laws concerning the manna. There were laws, weren't there? That they should gather daily their bread that they should gather a double portion on the sixth day so they got ready for the Sabbath, so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath, that they should expect none on the seventh day, and then finally that they should preserve a pot of this manna for memorial. So manna and, and the quail, and we had it read to us, didn't we, that, on that uh, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim, um, and on the 15th day, on the seventh month, after they'd come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Aaron and Moses. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, where we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Well, we all like a good moan, don't we? But that was some moan, wasn't it? You, you must like a moan. I mean, it's not a great thing, but we often moan, and moaning makes us feel better, doesn't it? Grumbling makes us feel better. When I didn't get a seat on the train the other day, I wanted to moan. I, wanted to, I was short of texting Jackie saying, I'm on the train and come got a seat. I thought, what's the point of that? But you can, you can moan, you can text, you can tweet, you can send an email, you can phone people anytime and have a moan. And people love to have a moan. It makes us feel better. Have I told you about my troubles? And I'm sure that often the people we tell about our moaning couldn't care less. I've got a colleague, I hesitate to say, how are you today? Because he's always moaning. Oh, I'm so tired. He's Italian. I'm so tired. Oh, I've had so much work, you know. Um, so have I. I want to say to him, but I don't really care but I, I hesitate because he grumbles and he moans so much but I know that it makes him feel better you can read people's blogs can't you even about the newspaper today if you look on the internet if you read a story people blog this is what I think of it I think it's outrageous so do I I think you're outrageous well I think you're outrageous have a good old moan if you read all that twaddle it's just a load of people moaning 
You can moan anywhere you like. But the Israelites, they would rather have had the oppression of the Egyptians rather than empty tummies. They were worried about food. They would rather have died by the hand of the Lord rather than being delivered by it. What a nonsense. They show that they have not understood what his power on their behalf reveals about his person and the fulfillment of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, this isn't the first time, is it, that they've seen that the God provides? Think of how God delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. All those plagues, all that disease, the crossing of the Red Sea. And they say to Moses and to Aaron, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've led us out to die in the desert? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, uh, leave us alone to serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Well, is that what they call the Stockholm Syndrome? It is, isn't it? If you've heard of that, you know, where people, they live with their captors and they learn to love their captors for some bizarre reason. It foreshadows another incident. If you were to go on, don't do it now, but maybe another time or you'll look at it together. In Exodus 17, in Exodus 17, they got thirsty. Same story. We're thirsty. Grumble, grumble, moan, moan. Moses, Aaron, give us a drink. We're thirsty. And of course, God told Moses to strike the rock. There's a longer story there. We're not going in today. He struck the rock. Water came forth and they all had a drink. That was immediately after this. They didn't learn. They were always moaning. They were always grumbling. Well, Exodus 16 is, is fantastic, isn't it? The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. Fantastic. Rain down bread from heaven. The people are to go out each day. Each of them will have enough for what they need. doesn't matter how much they gather. If you gather too little or you gather too much, you'll still have just enough for what you need. And that's exactly what they did. And Moses said to the people, go out and gather. You will know that it was the Lord. You will know in verse 8. Because when you're grumbling against Moses and Aaron, you're not grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You are grumbling against the Lord God. And Moses said to the people, the Lord has heard your grumbling. Verse 10 says, while Aaron was speaking, the whole Israelite community come, came together and they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. What a wonderful story this is, isn't it? You couldn't make a film of this story, could you? How could you make a film of God appearing in a cloud and speaking to Moses and Aaron? Imagine. And that evening, quails came and covered the camp. There was a dew that turned out to be honey, like snowflakes, like bread. Can you imagine the taste? When I was a little boy, I always wanted to imagine the taste of manna. I don't think we can. I reckon it tastes absolutely fabulous. What is it? The Israelites said. We've never seen this before. And they went out and they gathered it. Because Moses said, it is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And they went out. 
and they gathered. And the story, you know the story. Having seen God in the cloud, having heard all of these wonderful things, go out and gather just enough. Don't gather too much. Just gather enough for the day. You can't store up God's riches, can you? You can't. And yet, of course, human beings, and we can't blame them, can we? Because we would have done the same, wouldn't we? Just, I'll just take a bit extra. I'll just take a bit extra, and I'll save it until morning. And you know what happens. We read it together. People took extra. They saved it till morning. In the morning, it stunk. It had worms. Apart from, of course, on the sixth day. On the sixth day, because they didn't want to work on the Sabbath and God forbade them from doing so, they gathered enough for the next day. And guess what? It was fine. No maggots, no stinky smell. It was perfect. No refrigerators in those tents. Nevertheless, some people still went out on the Sabbath. I was just going to have a look. Just going to have a look, see if some's there. Of course it wasn't there. God said it wouldn't be there. It was not there. I mean, God is so patient, isn't he? He was so patient with the Israelites. He's so patient with me. I guess he's patient with you. How many times do we have to read the Bible, experience his love and his providence in our lives, and we still don't believe him? They still went out to check. Is it there? No, it's not. It's the Sabbath. In fact, in verse 28, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instruction? God was exasperated. Bear in mind that I've given you the Sabbath to rest. Bear in mind that I've given you enough food for the Sabbath. You still go out and check. Well, the, verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds really good. And uh, he told them how much to collect, what to collect it in, uh, and, and everything that went on. And you know how long they ate this manna? For 40 years. 40 years, manna and quail every day. Manna and quail every day. Must have tasted good, mustn't it? You imagine if you had to eat the same thing every day. Some people do, don't they? They like that kind of thing. I like uh, variety. But what a great story. But what difference does the death and the resurrection of Christ make to this passage? Well, these things, of course, took, pla took place to provide us with an example. God provided them with bread from heaven. And he provided us with an example. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And please don't think this is a tenuous link. Okay, I haven't gone on Google and looked up bread in the Bible, and this is what it comes up with. This is not some kind of random link. How can we get Jesus into the sermon? This is the point of the story. I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verses 30 to 40, the, the Israelites said to Jesus, you gave us manna as a sign. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You see, their God, our God, graciously took care of their supply. He could have said, I've had just about enough of you. I've rescued you from Israel, from, Israel, from Egypt. I've led you across the desert. I've got rid of the Egyptians. I've provided so much. All you do is go on moaning and grumbling. I'm going to send fire and brimstone from heaven and just finish you all off because I've just about had enough of you. But quite the opposite. 
God is compassionate. God is gracious. He is gentle. He is kind. And so he said to Moses, um, don't be uneasy about their, their, their murmuring, murmurings. He took notice of the complaints of the children of Israel, and he took pity on them. He took notice of their necessity, and he provided them with food. And it's an it's a th- important thing to remember, because when we moan, we moan out loud often, don't we? You could use the text, whatever I said. But when we are moaning to God, we moan to God very often in our hearts, don't we? But God sees our hearts when we're complaining. Why, God, do you allow this? Why, God, do you allow that? He hears. He looks into our hearts. He knows our discontent. There's lots of murmuring going on, isn't there? Maybe you, if you're at work or something, you might walk around the corridor and you see two people talking very quietly and they suddenly stop when you walk by. Maybe they're talking about you. You never know. A lot of whispering, a lot of murmuring, a lot of complaining in the world, a lot of pulling of faces. Some people are very good at pulling faces, aren't they, without anybody else seeing them, just communicating with somebody else. And often we think it's just as well the person we're moaning about can't hear. But God can always hear. He knows all of our moaning. And we may think that because God doesn't immediately take vengeance upon people who are evil, that he doesn't exist or he doesn't take notice. But he does because he is compassionate and he is kind as we are with our own children as a tender parent of a troublesome child, he gives them speedy, sufficient, constant supply of food. Man being made out of the earth, his maker wisely ordered him food out of the earth. Psalm 104 verse 14 says, He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. By this shall you know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. The fact that they'd been brought out of the land of Egypt was plain enough. But it was strange, wasn't it, that they were so short-sighted that they said that it was Moses and Aaron who brought them out of the desert. They thought it was Moses and Aaron. It wasn't Moses and Aaron, it was God. God who provided. And now God sent them manna to prove that he had no less infinite power and goodness that brought them out of Egypt to perfect what was begun. By this you shall know that I am the Lord your God. This was his proof of power that he was the Lord and he did them this favour. When God plagued the Egyptians, it was made to, make them, to make it known that he was their Lord. When he provided for the Israelites, it was to make it known that he was their God. How God manifested his glory to still the murmurings of the people and to put a reputation upon Moses and Aaron. Whilst Aaron was speaking, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The cloud itself, you would think, was enough for them to strike awe and encouragement in their hearts. Well, you don't have to be uh, 
Bear Grylls or Ben Fogel to know that you can't decide, you can't um, survive for very long in the desert. People like Bear Grylls tries to do it, doesn't he? He always finds food. I think Ben Fogel normally goes back to the uh, studio, doesn't he? For a burger and chips and then uh, goes back later, have another go. I always think he's surrounded by a lot of people, probably including his hairdresser. I don't know. That's a bit unkind. Why did I say that? I have no clue. Um, but, um, but we know that we cannot survive very often in the desert. I've been across deserts, normally in air-conditioned cars, and I know that if that air-conditioned car broke down, then I'd be in real trouble. And you would be in real trouble, because it's very hot. They're very hostile uh, places. And um, therefore, I suppose it's not surprising that, um, that the Israelites moaned against God, but they actually thought that God had planned to kill them in the desert. He thought they brought them, he brought them into the desert to kill them. And they had nothing but the appearance of disaster. They so far undervalued their deliverance that they even began to wish that they had died uh, by the hand of the Lord. And of course, discontent, we know that it magnifies what is past. It vilifies what is present without regard to truth or reason. And the Israelites were always forgetting God. In Psalm 106, verses 7 to 13, it says, When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your kindness. They rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he gave them for his name's sake to make, known his, his, make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. He led them through the depths of the, through the desert. He saved them from the hand of their foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. No, not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. The care of God graciously took care of their supply. The manna never ceased until they reached the borders of Canaan. That's how constant the care of God is for his people. And this manna, of course, is spiritual meat because it was a blessing that came from heaven. And Christ is the true manna, the bread of life, which we read about in, uh, in John and chapter 6 and verses 49 to 51. The word of God is the manner by which our souls are nourished. The comforts of the spirit are hidden manner, we read in Revelations. These come from heaven as manner did. They are support for life, divine life of the soul, whilst we are in the wilderness of the world. It is food for the Israelites, those who follow the pillar of cloud and fire. It is to be gathered and Christ is the word that is to be applied to our soul and the means of grace are to be used. We must, each one of us, gather for ourselves, gather in the morning of opportunities, which if we let slip, may be too late. The manna that they gathered must not be hoarded up, but eaten. And those who have received Christ must, by faith, live upon him and not receive his grace in vain. And there was manna enough for all, enough for each. No one had too much, no one had too little. 
And so for us, Christ is complete sufficiency. Those who didn't eat manna hungered again, didn't they? They didn't have to eat it. Maybe some people didn't like the taste of it. Maybe some people didn't want to eat it. If you don't eat, you die. It's plain, isn't it? If you don't eat, you die. Very, very clear. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And God provides life, not only in this life, in our physical bodies, but also for the life to come. Well, you know, when we're fit and healthy and strong, would you refuse to eat? It's a very clear answer. No, you wouldn't, because you'd die. And therefore, why in this world would we refuse to eat the eternal bread that Jesus provides, which would sustain our souls for eternity? If you do not accept the Son of God, the bread of life, you die. And Jesus wasn't making some kind of light-hearted poem when he said, man shall not live by bread alone. Of course not. He's being deadly serious. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's why he provided the communion. We eat, don't we, the bread, which reminds us of the body of Christ. I am the bread of life. People struggle with that. They say it's horrible. It's morbid. It reminds us of Christ's death. Of course it does. Of course it does. That's the whole point of the story. It is Christ who is the bread of life who can sustain us for eternity. This sermon is about the God who provides but we remember why God provides. Jesus fed the 5,000, didn't he? Fed 5,000 from five loaves and two fishes. And people were amazed. Of course, it's a miracle. Everyone had more than enough to eat from five loaves and two fishes. And then what happened? Then what happened? Lots of baskets over. And then what happened? People started following around Jesus. They followed him around from place to place. And I'm going to finish with the words that uh, Jesus said. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but the loaves you ate because you had your fill. So people were following Jesus, not because of the wonderful signs, not because he was such a great teacher, It's so they could fill their tummies. So shallow, isn't it? We're shallow. We're human beings. I'm shallow. Jesus answered, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe the one that he has sent. And so they asked him, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still don't believe. All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of he who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of them that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the New Testament, okay? At this, the people began to grumble. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. They began to grumble because they said, Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we all know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling, Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes from me. No one has seen the Father except the one whom from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I, says Jesus, am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I shall give for life of the world. And the Jews began to argue amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live. This is the bread who came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, this is an eternal perspective. It's a great story, isn't it? The children of Israel, how God provided for them. But this is the eternal perspective. Enjoy your lunch. You you will be hungry by supper. If you're like us, you have a light supper on Sunday night because we have normally a large traditional Sunday lunch. Jesus said, accept the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, on Jesus, will live forever.